This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Shall we begin? world is changing. Truth is vanishing. War is coming. You've no idea the power I represent. It knows your story and how it ends. If anything happens to them, there's no place that I won't go to kill you. That is written. None of our lives can matter more than this mission. I don't accept that. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Arvin and Sharmila. And your mission, <laughs> listeners, if you choose to accept, is to listen to this 20-minute review of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which is a super long name for a super long movie. Um, but I will just say, like, like up front, um, it's probably one of the best movies of the year, lah, and it is very likely going to make it into my top 10 by the time the year is done. Um, what about you? I was avidly waiting to see how you were going to introduce the title because are we calling it Dead Reckoning? Are we calling it MI7? Are we calling it DR1? Like, I was very curious. So we'll just call it Mission Impossible 7 Dead Reckoning 1, as it deserves to be called. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie so much. Um, I'm so, so glad that I caught it on IMAX before it gets, you know, pushed off by Oppenheimer. Um Expectations were high, I think, especially post Top mm-hmm. Gun, post the that mind-blowing behind-the-scenes trailer slash scene that they premiered in the cinema. I mean, what other movie uses a behind-the-scenes as a trailer, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, whatever expectations I had about this film, the number of jokes you make about what is Tom Cruise going to do next, the movie really, really delivers. I think they were so confident in showing you that that behind the scenes clip of the the very famous by now motorcycle stunt where he just like rides off a cliff because there's so much more in the movie that they don't show you. And even though the trailers are long and even though you think you've seen so much, there are action sequences in this thing that are so fleshed out and go on for so long of scene of things that you just cannot you can you wouldn't have expected. Um, and I love how these movies work perfectly as as standalone features also, um, and also parts of like this long-standing uh, franchise. Uh, because by the time the next one comes out, I think the series will be about 30 years old, which is insane by itself la, when you think about it. Um, and, and it's just like, you know, I, I love these movies, but I barely remember anything from the previous installments by the time the new ones come out. I don't remember the plot or the characters or, or what happened. And it surprisingly doesn't need you to. Like, it's so good at exposition. Uh, This movie just gives you everything you need to know within the first 15 minutes, and then you're all caught up. It's the anti-superhero movie, which I appreciate. It's the anti-Marvel and and, and DC and connected universe, because 
you can just buy a popcorn, go in, watch the movie, come out, have fun. You don't have to invest too much. And and I really appreciate that that aspect. Well, I'm so glad you said the anti-Marvel DC superhero thing because it's it's anti that also in a very particular way that I really appreciate, right? It puts so much effort into the practical effects and the stunts. It puts so much effort into the action scenes um, because one of the biggest complaints that I've had and we've had on the show is how a lot of these superhero movies, you can't see the action. Um, Everything is a CGI Mm. blur. Um, At certain points, you can't tell who's doing what where, even though people are wearing costumes. Whereas here, um, there's a scene, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a scene that takes place in the desert with sand flying around. Everyone has their faces covered. And yet you never lose sight of the action. You always know who's doing what. Um, There's such a precision and such a investment in the the audience experience and taking the audience into the action with these films. and this film certainly nails it so, so well. So well. Um, but with that being said, right, I also felt like this Mission Impossible had the most uneven visual language of all the Mission Impossible movies. Because I'm seeing like, I'm seeing a lot of comments online saying that it isn't the best Mission Impossible. And I completely agree. For me, uh, Ghost Protocol, the fourth one, will always be supreme, like, like you know, way up there. Um, and I think Rogue Nation and Fallout had a thicker plot and more quality in terms of cinematography and that practical, like tactile nature of the the movies, right? Like Dead Reckoning feels like a love letter to all the previous movies. Like they mash up so many things that we've already seen. Um, They repeat some stunts that we've already seen. The, The car chases are bigger. The action sequences are bigger. But there's a lot of obvious green screen and CGI also among the practical effects and the stunt work. And I think that gives it a bit of a, a bit of unevenness. I felt a bit of unevenness. I don't know whether I just drank the Kool-Aid like intensely because I don't think I noticed at all. Um, mm. I was just really invested in what the movie was showing me. I agree though that uh, particularly plot-wise, this isn't uh, this isn't the strongest Mission Impossible film. I mean, I think it's quite telling that we haven't even talked about the plot or felt the need to summarize it. Um, for what yeah. it's worth, uh, huge threat to the world, mission to stop it, they go rogue. That's really all you need to know. Um, I think that one of the best things this movie does, though, is to introduce Hayley Atwell. Um, She is so, so good. I mean, Rebecca Ferguson actually has been really good in the previous films as well. But the addition of Hayley Atwell and having the double team of her and uh, Tom Cruise sort of bulldoze through this movie, I think that added so much that I was willing to overlook a lot of the plot holes. A lot of strong performances, actually. Um, Like, I I know we can't get into details of the plot so much because they've kept a lot of it under wraps and and they've sort of kept things secret. Um, But yeah, like, you know, just like some all-powerful villain that he has to face. Um, Hayley Atwell, I loved. I loved also the inclusion of Pom Clementif. Oh, she was Um, great, like brutal and awesome and so good. So good. And also very eccentric for a Mission Impossible character. Um, she she has a makeup that makes her look like a mime and she fights with a sword. So I'm like, oh, she's a bit James Bond villain. Uh, she's also bringing some of that John Wick energy to this movie. Um, and, and it's also like there's all of them jive together so well. I think with some of the old uh, like Simon Pegg and, and uh, what is his name that I Ving forgot? Ving Rames. Ving Rames, yes. <laughs> and it all becomes like one big roja of a cast that I think, I think works like really really well. Um, I, I love watching the chemistry, especially between uh, Simon Pegg, 
Ving Rhames and Tom Cruise. That that aspect never gets old. Actually, um, you would think that the more people they add, the less invested you get in the characters. But that's really not true with the Mission Impossible films. Um, mm. Similarly with Angela Bassett and uh, Henry Cavill in Fallout, um, it doesn't matter that people are added to this. Everybody has great chemistry. And I think the the set and the cast do work pretty well in terms of, um, or rather work very hard in, to develop this sort of... Um, the lines and the, the 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 delivery and the way they connect with each other. And I think that carries through um, even the weaker parts of the plot. Yeah. And also, I know we can't say a lot about the villain. Um, and I'm not talking about Gabriel, who's played by S.I. <laughs> Morales. Um, it's, I love the villain. I, I love the choice and the direction that they took in this movie. Um, I thought it's very timely. And it amplifies a kind of collective fear that we have, especially over the last couple of years. And it's interesting, right? I feel like Tom Cruise has had similar-ish villains more than once in the movies that he produces, especially. I think he has a fascination with the concept and he keeps finding ways to implement that concept in his movies. And I, and I, I mean, there's there's a larger conversation there. But yeah, I, I, I think they kept it secret one because they didn't know if it's going to work with audiences or not um, and whether it would work in, in marketing. But I, I saw it and I'm like, yeah, okay, this is such a natural progression for this franchise that I, I just love it instantly. So I got to admit, I found the whole villain thing a little bit silly and overblown I didn't think that yeah but but it was silly in the way so you said Bond villain earlier about uh, Palm Clementive's character Paris Mm. Um, this felt like a classic Bond uh, villain trope right something that's so OTT and so sort of both linked to something that's happening in contemporary times but at the same time kind of silly but they take it so seriously that you ultimately start taking it seriously too um I don't think it would have worked in most other films, but here everyone is so intense about it that you're kind of like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah, you need to save us, Ethan Hunt. Otherwise, otherwise it's worldwide destruction. It's always up to him. Yes. And it's always up to this one guy, which makes no sense, but which we love. And for him alone, rules don't matter. At all. Movie <laughs> after movie, never matters. Um, but anyway, I, 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 we have to talk about the stunts more when we come back. But we're going to take a very quick break. Um, Let us know, have you seen Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 in cinemas? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 or you can reach us on Twitter at BFM Radio. But films, man. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Ethan, I understand you're upset. I'm not upset. You wanted me to listen. This is me listening. This mission is gonna cost you dearly. And the world's gonna be coming after you. BFM 89.9, you are still listening to Popcorn Culture with Arvin and Sharmila. Lynn is, Lynn has joined MI6. Let's just, let's just say it. She's Lynn wearing a rubber MI6. mask, traipsing around Venice somewhere, running and hopping off a boat or something, doing something cool. Yeah. Super secret mission. Yes. Uh, but she will be back. 
Um, and uh, we're talking about Mission, colon, Impossible, Dead Reckoning, Part 1. Um, and we spoke about some of the performances. We spoke about some of the effects. We said that we loved it a lot, a lot, a lot. I said it's probably going to be one of my top 10 by the end of the year. Before we get into the, the practical effects and more of the stunts and Tom Cruise performances, right? Something that I find very interesting, uh, a, a quick snapshot of the weekend box office. MI7 made $225 million worldwide on a budget of about $300 million. It's a massive, massive opening, but it's not a success yet because it hasn't caught up to its budget. And in two days, it's going to have to start competing with Oppenheimer and, and Barbie, which are two of the biggest movies of the year, probably, and it has a lot of social media momentum. And they've already confirmed that MI7 is going to leave the IMAX cinemas before and give it all like lock stock to Oppenheimer. And I'm just wondering, like, why? Because I wish this movie had more breathing space in IMAX. It's such a good movie. We, we hardly get such cinematic movies like this done so well with so much, so many practical effects. And it's a bit of a bummer if this movie isn't as profitable because it had to compete with stuff like Oppenheimer, which is, I mean, it's going to completely destroy the box office when it comes out. There's no, there's no competing with that thing. So I'm often skeptical when people say this movie has to be, a movie has to be watched in IMAX, right? Mm. Um, but with Mission Impossible 7, there are so many scenes that feel like watching it on the largest screen possible is absolutely worth your time, right? Um, there's so much effort put into crafting these scenes. There is a whole sequence on a train that somehow manages to be almost a short film in itself. You know, uh, the, the ways in which they use the space within the carriage, the way you feel like you are stuck in there with them. Um, I think not being able to see that in IMAX is a real pity. I wish... I wish studios had been, I don't know, better in terms of planning the releases of these films. Um, also, the writer's strike now, I believe, has also changed a lot of things in Hollywood in terms of even pre-publicity for these movies. Uh, mm -hmm. So it is a pity, I think. But who knows, maybe like Top Gun, MI7 might come back. I, I hope so. I hope it has like long legs, um, mainly because the that one stunt that we've seen so much of, of him riding off the cliff, is worth the price of the IMAX ticket alone. Like, you can buy a premium cinema ticket. That scene lasts for about 10 seconds, and it's did worth... Did your cinema collectively hold its breath? Because mine did. Pin, pin drop silence. drop silence. It was amazing. Those cinema moments are gold. And you can't get that at home. It's You need the sound and the surround and just that, oh, it was... It was no one ate their popcorn for the 10, 15 <laughs> seconds that he was falling through the air. And because um, people knew what was going to happen, right? So that was the cleverness of releasing that scene. You People know what to expect and yet somehow it's still breathtaking. So breathtaking. And like he said, like Tom Cruise has said that he wants to keep doing these movies until he's about 80. I, I believe him. Uh, <laughs> and it's always that conflict, right? Like you don't want anyone to get hurt entertaining you or for entertainment. But then you watch something like this and it's so visceral. And there's something about, I don't know, watching this extremely wealthy guy do these stunts that he has doesn't have to do. Like he doesn't have to do any of this to earn a living. And putting himself on the line for the sake of entertainment, it's very, I don't know, just to satiate his own adrenaline addiction and then to entertain us, it's it, like you can't look away. Like, it's very carny also. But there's just something about it that you cannot get 
from other movies and i i super 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 appreciate that i think it's also because it's not just stunts and nothing else right like it's not mm. as if it's that's all there is there is actually a lot of effort so when when we say tom cruise is like hyper committed to his film his craft it's not just that he's willing to leap off planes it is that he cares about every single thing that happens on frame for us um and there's something quite i think in this age of like you know 20 releases on streaming every day and movies that are made paint by numbers there's something quite special about a movie that feels like they've put so much effort into it do you think he'll ever get old like that that hook because that's the hook for all these movies right i i, I don't know how many people are going to watch mission impossible for the plot or the the storyline but do you think they'll keep working i don't know whether it will survive beyond tom cruise Mm. Yeah, I I don't mm. know whether it Okay, so I have a theory that they're setting up Hayley Atwell for either a spin-off or like to take over after he retires because she's fabulous in this film. Unfounded yep. theory based on nothing except I I feel like it's long overdue for Hayley Atwell to have a great film for herself. Um I I'm hoping that that's the case and then maybe we'll see more of these. I'm hoping I'm I I also thought that Jeremy Renner was going to be the guy to take over yeah, from Tom Cruise. Yeah, but then we saw point. him in the movies and we all knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, and it's 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 going to keep being Tom Cruise. Um but again just like echoing um Hayley Atwell is so awesome. Um obviously liked her since the the Marvel days like Captain America. She was done dirty in Multiverse of Madness. She deserves so much more. And I'm glad that she gets to play in this uh this playground that she came to the Mission Impossible playground. Also just saying like can you blame Captain America for abandoning his timeline for hers? <laughs> I mean, I mean. Uh, she just shines off the screen. Everything she does, she's amazing. I'm I'm really glad that we're seeing her do these kinds of roles. Yeah, yeah. One thing that bugged me though and I don't know if you if it it bugged you also was that they kept saying that this was film for IMAX. And it was, I'm sure it was, but it didn't take up the whole IMAX screen. like the i i noticed the the letterboxing instead of being like the complete when it, it just like goes from top to bottom and i was wondering why because they used to do it for fallout and ghost protocol especially i remember and i think that just bugged me a little bit because the the behind the scenes feature that was in full imax and then this wasn't and i was like this could have benefited so much from a from a full imax scope instead of what we got which is still beautiful but i i wanted full Ah, so I don't think was it for the entire movie or was it particular scenes? For the entire movie, so I expected it to sort of expand in, yes. in some of the bigger action sequences, but, but it, it didn't, did. right? It, Now that you've it pointed didn't. it out, yeah, you're right. Um, I I don't know, you know, it, yeah, this is the problem with some of the the sort of promises that a movie like this makes, right? You go in expecting something, um, and I don't know whether even the slightest deviation from that perfection ends up affecting how we perceive it. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I want to say that um they said the next movie isn't the last Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2. Um they are I don't know if these rumors have any weight to them but they said there's probably going to be one after that or Part 3. I'm kind of looking forward to a Dead Reckoning trilogy by itself. I think it's So work. a trilogy within the series basically. A trilogy within yeah. the series. Yeah. This is just how we do things these days. Right. Like I, I I would watch it. Well, if it's this cast and this plot line, sure, I think it has at least another movie in it. We're definitely getting one anyway. Um trilogy? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I'm cautious, but so far 
none of the Mission Impossible movies have been abjectly bad, have they? No, none of them have. Except for the second one. Come on, I love the second one. It's awful John Woo amazingness. It is awful John Woo amazingness. I mean, like viruses, Bellorophon, don't know what. I love that film. (laughs) Tom Cruise with long hair. Tom Cruise with long hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, So yes, we have been talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Did you like it? Have you seen it in cinemas? Did you watch it in IMAX? What was your experience like? Uh, Let us know on WhatsApp at 018-789-8899. You can also reach us on Twitter at BFM Radio. Or you could write to us at movies at bfm.my. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.